Welcome to TV Show and Tell. I'm David Bodicombe. And I'm Justin Scroggy. We're two television consultants from the UK. This podcast is all about how and why television gets made. So if that sounds of interest to you, please consider subscribing. Today, in a very special episode, we're joined by my good friend and leading educational YouTuber, Tom Scott. Welcome, Tom. Hello, thanks for having me. In this special episode, we're discussing one particular show, Money, a five-part series that was originally exclusive to the streaming service Nebula. Tom was the executive producer and the originator of the concept, and I worked as the show's games producer. A one-hour omnibus edition of the whole series is now free to air on Tom's YouTube channel, so if you'd like to watch the show before we discuss it, which we recommend you do, then click on the link in the show notes or search Tom Scott Money YouTube, and it should bring up the relevant video. So what was the show all about? Five people were invited to sit around a table and play five games where the main dilemma was choosing between group profit or personal gain. So Tom, where did you get the original idea from? I can't remember the, the, the spark of inspiration that, uh, that got the format, but economics experiments as game show is something that had been sitting on my ideas board for a long, long time. The catch being, doesn't really have a natural home on television. Uh, doesn't really, it, it's done quite well on my YouTube channel, but certainly the, the cost involved in getting there wasn't something that, I, I think, I, certainly two years ago when we made it was well outside of my range. Nowadays with sponsors, I might be able to make it, but it had the, the natural home on a streaming service. So it, when everything came together, when Nebula said, are you interested in doing some originals? Do you want to pitch some stuff? That was one of the first things I pitched and they went for it. And then when Tom said to me, do you want to get involved? I was very interested because I'd done a module on game theory as part of my maths degree. And there's a lot of counterintuitive things about how people react to money and how people's decisions about the worth of money change depending on their personal circumstances. So um, I thought it was interesting to explore this area. Right. Utility theory has been something that's been played about with, with game shows for a long time. You know, deal or no deal being the obvious one. But taking all those other experiments that I, re I remember doing, you know, the economics department at my university used to put out uh, very small budget experiments for, for students who wanted a few quid. And the idea of scaling that up to something like this really, it, it sat well with me. So in something like this, where motivation of the players is is so key to the, to the game, um, what kind of people were you looking for when you were casting it? What sort of personalities? Ha, so um, I'll be honest, one of, the, one of the big concerns with casting was who was on Nebula's roster, because it's a streaming service that, uh, to a certain extent, is parasocial. It's, it's got that sort of crew of people who are part of it. So we were ideally limited to that group. And then it was also, who's in town for VidCon London 2019? Uh, you know, we, we knew that some of the Americans would be over. Uh, we knew that some of the Europeans would be over. So we put filming next to VidCon because we knew we'd have the widest pool to choose from then. Then out of that list, it was a case of trying to find personalities that would not clash too much and would not cooperate too much. I know, Dave, you'll, you'll talk more about playtesting later. But trying to find, uh, I don't want to say roles, but certainly people who, who you'd expect to fall into certain buckets was, was really important. Well, in the development Bible, we sort of drew up a, a list of stereotypes, um, which were pretty crude. The things like, you know, strategist or rules lawyer or, uh, or paranoid or... Mathematician was in there. Mathematician was definitely in there. Yeah, like this was somebody who would like analyze something to the nth degree, whether there was a mathematician or an economist, because 
the way they see things is is often different to the way um, a man in the street would would react. So um, that's not to say that those those are the exact titles that the, the people we ended up were with, but um, nevertheless, that's the sort of rough kind of idea of of people we were looking at. I mean, we already knew that if we had too many highly cooperative players, then we would have a very very dull show. Um, some of the folks there uh, already knew each other, and I knew that they. Uh, would play, uh, not werewolf or mafia, but that sort of bluffing game against each other for no stakes, you know, online, in person, whenever they happen to meet. So I knew they had some experience with that and figured that uh, that they would they would probably start drama quite early, which, uh, which I'm happy to say they did. And would it have made a difference if they were strangers? Oh, I think so. I mean, David, you've got more experience with this than, than I have casting this sort of thing, but... If they didn't know each other, I think it would have been harder to establish trust. I don't think you would have had that that glorious ending that we had, had where it uh, it all worked out okay in the end. I think someone might well have, have run off with as much money as they could get. Um, but also that meant you had some knowledge between them anyway. I think it would have been very different with Strangers. I'm not sure if it would have been a better show. I think it would have been very different if they were somehow anonymous. I think if they could have got away with with knowing it wasn't being recorded, you'd have had a very different set of results. In reality, some of these games are played anonymously over a computer network, uh, but these people are still, still seeing the whites of each other's eyes in uh, around a table. And so they know they're being watched. However, we needed to have a group of people that knew that they would play the game in the right spirit because there were certain rules about... Uh, what things they were and were weren't allowed to prove or say, and so we had to make sure that we had people that we know we could um, that would play the game in the right spirit. This is always a problem with with casting anything like this. Is if you do find uh, civilians, as it were, you have to trust that they will be okay on camera. They won't try to meta game too much uh, and push the the letter and spirit of the rules. In the end, the folks on screen knew that this is a show, and I think sometimes played up to that and by the end were very much not playing up to that mm, mm, definitely so people uh, who listen to this podcast know that games don't just appear on screen that they go through some uh, often very rigorous testing so what kind of testing did you do ahead of the uh, production so we arranged for um, as you would normally do with a, a tv game show we arranged for there to be just some playthroughs in a room. Uh, we played everything through about five or six times in a couple of days. And we just uh, either got people that we knew uh, or we actually got some people who are regulars on the sort of game show scene who like to turn up to these sort of testing events because they, it's a day out for them and they like to see you know what sort of things people are devising. And we had a range of people that was slightly by chance, but some people were kind of hawkish and were really after the money. Uh, some were really sort of a tactical and wanted to work out the best way of, of playing. And then there were some people that just wanted everybody to be fair and kind of were a bit sulky and a bit disappointed when things didn't quite go to plan. There were there were two playtesting sessions back to back in one day that I just distinctly remember because the first one we came out of and the players had backstabbed each other, sort of got a resolution at the end. It was just, it was a wonderful show. We figured we might actually have to tone down the, the disputatious bits a little bit uh, just to make sure we didn't have too nasty a show. Uh, but we came out, I remember just high-fiving uh, Cambria, the series producer, as we went by, just like, we have got a show here. And then the very next one, two people 
who were very friendly and very persuasive and very cooperative just steamrolled everyone. Like, they got a great result for them. It was all group cooperation. But one of them, one of the players at one point, uh, said something along the lines of, I'm losing the will to live. <laughs> because it was that dull. Um, so, uh, at the end of that, you know, I remember just being almost heartbroken. Oh, what, what if this happens on the day? How do we, we <laughs> you know, we, we figured we had the balance, but it, it so much depended on casting as much as playtesting. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty much as you saw on the programme. Uh, the props we had were pretty similar. We just used boxes. In fact, the boxes were pretty much identical. They were um, three pounds from the works. Uh, for anybody <laughs> who doesn't know what the works is, uh, if you're listening abroad, uh, it's basically a bit like Harrods. And, <laughs> um, it's so not like Harrods. Um, so we've got these boxes and I just used some coloured pieces of paper. I printed our own currency. And instead of the black dividers that we had on the show, I just used this massive piece of cardboard with sort of five um, nooks and crannies into it when everybody just hid their boxes in each corner. <laughs> so I guess the, the biggest decision was the amounts of money. Um, I mean, just the overall amount of money, but also the kind of individual amounts of money per game and things like that um, that you had to work out and decide, I guess, what the, what the limits were. We knew the budget in total for prizes would be about $10,000. Um, that was in the production budget. Weirdly, I, I guess it did actually technically come out of my pocket because if there was any leftover, then it was going to go to my production company. Um, but we, we estimated it would come out about $10,000. Um, so David kind of reverse engineered the games and the amounts. So it would come out to that. Um, we wanted amounts of money at the very start that seemed... I don't want to say that any amount of money is trivial, because obviously uh, utility theory, you know, different amounts of money mean different amounts of different people. We wanted amounts that in a situation like this, it would seem reasonable to to play the game and do a little bit of cheeky backstabbing at the start, because it's we know there's bigger amounts coming. We can have a bit of fun here in the hope that that would start to break the trust. I think the theoretical maximum was something around fifteen dollars to $18,000, but we knew it would be so unlikely to get there. So for each game we had planned a minimum that was possible a maximum that was possible and a likely amount based on play testing uh, so we knew that they weren't going to win nothing unless they all agreed not to uh, share at the end um, but we, it was very very roughly a thousand pounds a game for the for the, uh, for the first four games with a little bit of an uplift towards the end and then the five thousand pound bonus uh, for game five we did keep the team apart at the start, by the way, right in the, right in the studio. We had the anti-room off the side, we greeted them all, and we deliberately kept them all in separate bits. They could sort of see each other, but all kind of on their own phones. And the first time they actually met on the day was round the table. Uh, and that was just this, after a couple of playtesting sessions, just that slightly paranoid risk that they were all going to go against the house immediately. That in game one, they decided to take me for everything I've got and play out that way. And fortunately, that didn't happen. I would, be, I would still be worried about that. That's a valid strategy. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we see in game shows a lot now is the, is the management of contestants, you know, before, during and after is, a, is much more part of the production. Um, so just to, just so I'm clear that so the cash was your cash, real actual money. Right. Yet we we withdrew it from a bank that morning 
Um, we asked in advance for certain denominations. We had a security guard with us for the trip because the production insurance required it. Now, I know damn well that, that $10,000 is not actually that much physical money. Like, you can hold it in a, you know, it was mostly hundreds, so that's, that's a hundred hundreds. It's not actually that much of a stack of money. You could easily just put it in, in your pocket or a backpack. And as long as you don't draw attention to it, as long as you're not waving it around, as long as you don't look like you're really nervous about holding something, no one is going to stop you on the brief journey in a cab to the studio. Um, however, we had a security guard who I think was, was expecting a big briefcase or of money or something like that. And just to pack it, they, they just gave us a packet. And we sort of had the production decision of, right, how do we, how do we make this look impressive? We had this briefcase to grandly bring out to show everybody at the start of the uh, first round. Uh, unfortunately, um, when we actually got this thin packet of notes and put it in the briefcase, we sort of went, hmm, that's not very good, is it? <laughs> so we, we basically got somebody to fill up the sort of bottom half of the, of the briefcase and sort of pad it up. And then we sort of smeared a thin sort of one to two note layer of notes on the top. And it, it, we kind of got away with it. But I mean, it's, the- it's easier with dollars than pounds. Like we use dollars for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, because it's cheaper. <laughs> um, uh, second, because this is an international production and the world understands dollars. And also because it gave us $1 bills. Britain does not have pound notes. So unless we want a lot of jangling change in there that would have given things away, we wanted to round to the nearest dollar as opposed to the nearest five pounds. And we didn't lose a single dollar. Uh, we, we kept counting it up at various points and uh, just to make sure. And um, actually, the, the amount of money that had to go on set was surprisingly low, partly because of the players and partly <laughs> because we kept resetting things after each round or each game. And you were just in the back with the security guard next to you. Security guard had a nice, quiet day. He was, he was just sat in the back quietly watching the money and getting watching it being counted in and out. He basically had it in his inside jacket pocket most of the day. That was that was mm. the high that was the that was the high security safe <laughs> in which uh, the money was stored. So, uh one measure I always have uh, of a good game is how short the host's introduction is at the beginning. I I was very impressed by by how brief your introduction was. I was concerned about that from a script perspective. Um there there is a lot to get through. And there's no opportunity. We assume that the audience already know the players, which is an advantage of of them being personalities on YouTube and an advantage of a show for Nebula, which is for an audience who already know most of those channels. So that saves a lot of time. We didn't really have to do a big big introduction interview with the players. But I still have to rattle through quite a lot of things. I've got to set up, there's there's a briefcase at the end. I've got to set up the medals. I've got to set up the money. I've got to set up uh, that you can't do certain things. You can do certain others. Um, it was a lot to get through. Script on that was, I, I can't remember, David, whether I improvised that or whether I was going off a prompter. Uh, I, we gave you a set of cards and you, had, you went through the set of cards. Um, it's like three cards. And I checked it with the original Bible and you pretty much went through every point. There was a few things that we did have that we cut out, I think. One was a line about that they couldn't steal or use threats, um, which got a laugh on the day, I remember, but probably slightly nervous laugh. That might be why we <laughs> cut it out. There was a second thing about they couldn't destroy any game equipment, which, again, I think somebody in playtesting had, had sort of jokingly suggested, and then I sort of went, okay, that's a rule we're going to have to put in. Yes, I remember that. Someone uh, wanted to, like, demonstrate 
that they had torn up a card. Now, I think we change it to chips or something like that, but the equivalent would be like throwing a thing over your shoulder to completely remove it from the game. We just kind of uh, trusted that the audience would understand that that was a thing you couldn't do. And we just asked people also not to talk about the game away from the table. So I think once or twice I had to sort of change the subject once or twice at lunchtime to make sure people weren't doing any backroom deals. We had the medals as an idea very early on because we needed a motivation for people to backstab. Uh, we needed something that they were fighting for control for. And originally it was going to be one per game. Uh, and I think, David, you ruled that out for some reason. Yeah, it was. We, was, we sort of thought, well, game one could be worth one medal, game two could be worth two medals. And then I think it just the, the numbers got a bit unwieldy. And my top, top tip for when you're trying to balance a game, uh, especially when you're, when you're dealing with um, game show type rules, is keep the numbers as low as possible. So just by having that one one or possibly two medals per game, it just meant that somebody couldn't just run away with it and, and there was no way for the other people to win, even if they could collectively club their other medals together. I mean, in the end, that happened. But it happened through such a, a weird set of, uh, of circumstances that it, that it ended up being a really, uh, a really good bit of plot. I mean, we had almost narrative possibilities for this. We knew several routes that the show could take and figured it would go down one of those. Uh, Mike found an entirely different path, which we did not, uh, which we did not expect. Why did we land on five games, David? I can't actually remember. Because I think originally this was going to be a six-episode series, because that's what British television usually is. And then we dropped down to four or five. Did, did we just... Was this the number of games that felt right? I can't remember what we did. Uh, I always thought it was because that was the order. It was for five episodes. Honestly, it's been so long, that's entirely possible. <laughs> Nebula were very, very uh, loose with what the show could be. At one point, it was going to be an omnibus for them. Um, and we, we ended up splitting it. Uh, I can't remember why we picked five in the end. But uh, it worked out. So let's start macro and go go in. So just broadly, what was the whole game about? The format is basically a big economics experiment with an actual budget. The, the sort of thing the economics department at every university would like to run if they could afford it. Um, you know, ideally they'd run it a thousand times and ten graduate students write the final thesis on it. It was basically to to do the stuff that was impossible to do if you only have the tiny budget for this. Like, let's let's make a show where we actually put enough money to be interesting, but not enough money that it could absolutely, irretrievably break a friendship. And then to get there, let's play five games. Let's, let's, let's have enough that a story can develop. Okay, so let's go to game one. What was the rules of game one? So this was, we call it prize draw. It's uh, based on something that already exists called the Platonia Dilemma, or sometimes called the Luring Lottery. And the basic idea is that you ask for a certain number of tickets in a prize drawer, and that means the more tickets you ask for, the more likely you are to get the prize. However, the prize is divided by the total number of tickets that people asked for. So there's the catch. When I pitched the show to Nebula, this was the game I used. I, I was in a meeting with, with a couple of our execs, and this was the pitch. And there was a moment of them going, wait, I... Oh, <laughs> I know that that gets told for, for a lot of shows and things like that. And it was, it was strange to be in a meeting where that, that happened. That happened. As, they, as you could see, they had to go, oh, wait, but if I... And the, the realisation, yes, if we've got five games like this, we've, we've got a show here. And why did you go with this one first? In playtesting, it, it usually had a very nice narrative in that round one, people would 
play pretty nice and get a fairly nice result. And then round two, things would start to go a bit wrong. And then round three, things would go very wrong. <laughs> uh, in fact, probably our group was a bit more aggressive than the average, I would say. Um, but it, even if, if even if there was a nice group, you'd still get one or two people who would be a bit minxy and just sort of go, oh, it's a game and I just want to, I just want to just put in a few extra tickets. Which is exactly what we want to do. Like, I, I do not get, uh, Mia told me that some people have been quite nasty to her about it. And like, that, that's literally the game. It's a game. That's what it was, that's what it was meant to do. We would not have had a show if they had cooperated every single time. Um, also, I have no idea who the saboteur was. Uh, I, we had we had this discussion, David. I remember this uh, about whether I would have like talk back or something to you and and know what's really going on behind the scenes. I do not have a poker face. I was as much in the dark as all the players were throughout the show. Mia completely fooled me. I one hundred percent thought it was Mike or Sam who were backstepping in game one. Absolutely did not see that coming. Um, they it, took it, that. They took all those accusations quite well. I yes, have to say. they did. <laughs> Even though, and they could, they couldn't really do anything about it other than just say it wasn't me. I, I knew behind the scenes you were giggling. Like I, I knew there'd be there'd be a whole group over over in the corner of the studio with the money uh, behind a desk, so that absolutely no one could see what was going on back, back there. I just knew there'd be some people that back there going, I can't believe they're doing this. I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine as a producer um, saying to the host of the show. Um, so just to be clear, you're you're not going to have any earpiece. And you're not going to have any idea what the contestants are doing. Is that okay? In hindsight, I wish we'd have had talkback. I don't think it was going to be remotely in budget. But there were times when it would have been nice to just get a cue from the director on, we need to speed this up, we need to slow this down. Because time stretches in weird ways when you're hosting something like that. Uh, and it might be nice to get a prompt for, you forgot to ask this or forgotten to do this. In practice, uh, Sammy, the director, would just kind of shout at me if, if something needed to go on. Or I'd get a hand gesture or something in the distance. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad I didn't know because I would have fluffed at some point and given away some information. And when there's money on the line, like with, with, you know, all this about them being friends, them being you know part of the show and all that. Ultimately, there is still money on the line here. And if I screw up, we don't want David, the independent adjudicator and game developer, to have to come in and make a ruling that we're going to have to justify in the edit. There was actually going to be a third point of view, uh, which was going to be Tom going off to another room and talking about the game with an economics expert which i'm glad we didn't do i'm not really sure why we dropped it um I, I think we just we just thought it was too busy um it didn't make sense for me to leave the studio we were going to have a a bit more economics talk in there and talk some about what optimal strategy would be and to, to play things out i think we lost it no we i remember why we dropped that we dropped it firstly because it was a bit too complicated but also because in playtesting the players talked through it and it, it duplicated stuff. The economics expert would say, oh, here's the best strategy. And then we'd have to cut to the players talking about the strategy with themselves. And it turned out that most of the time they found it anyway. And I think there's not really a best strategy for a lot of these things, um, because what's the best strategy for the individual is different from the best strategy for, to the group. And I, I think it's hard to say that there's a solution to these things. The re these things are dilemmas, and it's about your... Um, your value of money that's effectively going to decide what, what is good for you. We trusted the audience to be able to work that out. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to game two. Game two was about the lowest unique bid 
Um, so it's basically a kind of auction. The prize goes to the person who puts in the least amount of money that also nobody else has done. Yeah, and these things come up a lot on websites, and they're surprisingly fun because, you know, you you think, oh, I'm going to bid like two pounds thirty eight for this car, and actually, the seventeen pence was the winning bid. You go, why did nobody think of seventeen pence? It's it's surprising, but it's uh, that's the joy of these things. I, I was worried that this one was a bit too simple, and then you came up with the idea of multiplying the prize by the bid. I thought you came up with that because that seems that seems far too clever for me to have called. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it, but we're, we're both doing the thing where, we, where we're pushing to the other person here. Um, it, again, there, there's an obvious strategy here, but it took the players a little while. Okay, so we've talked about a couple of games. Uh, just as a sidebar, um, were these the these five games the only games that you tried, or did you did you try other games? I remember one other that we did actually try a couple of times, which is based on something called the Caterpillar game, where you get a box, you sort of add some money to the box, and then you decide, do I close the box and keep it for myself, or do I pass it to the person on the left, hoping that it will go around the circle and come back to you next time with even more money in it. And um, I think that potentially could have worked if we playtested it a bit more. I think what happened was we just sort of let people... Sort of closed the box without any consequences, and they were still allowed to play on. Uh, maybe we should have said, "Well, if you close a box, you're out of the next round or something." Um, but that's... I think we rejected that because it seemed a bit too individual. Like all the games, all the theme of all these games was individual versus group, and I think that one just didn't quite play into that correctly. Um, we, I think we we ran through two or three more while we we're testing on paper and, and just kind of batting ideas back and forth. But I think we settled on these fairly quickly. The order took a little bit of time to shake out, but we, we settled on these fairly quickly. Did you brief the contestants on the rules of the games before they sat down at the table? No, absolutely not. They, which must have been terrifying for them. Like I've been on the other side of games like that uh, and even shows like that. And it's, it's terrifying mm. to suddenly realise you have no idea. And then you've just got to think... like. It, it must have been such a massively stressful situation for all of them. Um, it, it, I, I, I feel like I should apologise, but also we gave them quite a lot of money, so there is that. Game three was called the Magic Money Machine. So how did that work, David? So the idea of this was that you had a bunch of money given to you and you could choose to put any or all of that money into a box, which then got taken away. And then when it came back, the money was increased by... 20% but redistributed amongst everybody equally so what that meant was that if you wanted to you could withhold your money and still get a share of everybody else's money as well and this is a classic economics experiment it's called the public goods game there have been a lot of papers on it it is brutal every time <laughs> yeah it does seem kind of uh ramping up the nastiness uh, sort of at, at game three yeah, we knew this would be a bit of a disaster. It's a very clever game because if one person just decides to keep all of their money and everybody else puts all of their money in, what comes back is less than what they put in. So uh, you put in 100 and, and when you open your box, you go, oh, there's only 96 left. Um, and so the money's gone down rather than up, as you would have expected. And it just requires one person only to be the awkward factor 
and and, and <laughs> we had at least two of them. And, and yeah, that was the weird thing was that the only way of of winning effectively is to is to be the awkward person from the off. I, I expected it to go a bit better than this. It was a it was a, a complete disaster. Well, you had to send me a note, David, on the on the second round. This is where talkback would have been useful. I just got a note saying it's been rounded down. And I tried to work out what that meant. It actually meant there was meant to be just a few cents in the boxes or something like that. We'd never had it go that badly in playtesting. There, there might be like f- like a few dollars or something in the box when it got to sort of like the third round or something. But we never had a situation where it got so catastrophic that we, we didn't have anything. And I had to make sure that Tom sort of didn't look at me and go, you've forgotten to put the money in the box. <laughs> so I had to give uh, Chana, who was the runner, um, a, a note to, to put under Tom's nose so that he was aware that, yes, we have put the money in the box and that money runs down to 0.00. <laughs> I mean, there is a loophole here. There is there is a strategy that the players didn't spot, which would be handing all their money to one trusted person and that going in the box. Um, I don't think we explicitly prevented that, David. I looked at it. On the show Bible notes that we were developing, we we were aware that that was a loophole, and I think we forgot to put it in the rules that it wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> but thankfully, nobody else spotted it. Although, on round three, someone could happily have just kept the money for themselves anyway and not put it in the box. If they, re- It would have been a, a deliberately nasty move that would have broken trust for them forever but it could have been done fortunately no one noticed it so we just kind of plowed on with that so riffing off that was there any point where um the wheels could actually have come off the bus well i think we play tested things enough that we knew relatively well that we'd covered most bases like you know once you've played something five or six times you get a decent idea of of what common questions the contestants ask and like can we do this can we do that and then you'd sort of have to make up rules of like well yes you can do that and you can't do that um and we weren't surprised by anything thankfully on the day but it's if they if they'd have realized on game one that it could have been players versus house then would have been in trouble if they if they'd have looked at the money in round one and sort of made a pact around the table of no we're going to take tom for everything he's got that would have been a serious problem, um, which again is, is partly down to casting and partly down to them playing the game, at least in the early stages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we you you manage those things in different ways. Yeah. Okay, so game four, uh, pick a prize. So, where did that idea come from? This is a bit of a rehash of a game I came up with for the UK version of the Mole. So in the Mole. Um, there was various prizes, which was uh, originally it was like an, an empty suitcase, a suitcase with a thousand pound check in it, uh, a suitcase with three correct answers for a quiz at the end of the show, and a completely free pass to the next round of the competition. By the way, the mole. If anyone hasn't watched it, you you should. Both the old UK series and the, the current ones that are going on. It is one of the best formats and one of the best action adventure shows has ever been. And although it doesn't, it's only had a couple of series in the UK, this particular challenge, I'm told, has been run several times on foreign versions because they've, they've you know, borrowed the UK game as they're entitled to do when it's a, a format. And uh, so I haven't seen it being played 
uh, in, in these other countries. But I know it works well as a principle because the the idea of it was that if the four contestants chose different suitcases, then also a certain lump of money would be added to the prize pot for the team at the end of the whole series. So it had that balance of individual wanting a certain prize versus if we all work together, the group gets a bonus amount of money and mike just turned up as dictator in this one just absolutely we did not see that coming at all that was not something that happened in playtesting and it was this this weird position we were in where mike had won enough medals and realized and spotted that strategy of shut everything else down i'm getting this you guys take the money uh, that that just left us with this yeah okay this this is a strategy it's all gonna work um this got cut down so much. My God, discussions went on for such a long time. It went round in circles. Many, well, like what you're seeing is, is an abridged version of what must have been half an hour. And I could see Sammy, the director, kind of going, can you bring this together? I'm like, I can't. We've, we've got, if they can just agree, if I force this, it's all going to fall apart. And just this moment of going, come on, come on, pull this together, pull this together. And eventually... They went for it. I sort of nudged them. Are you going to go for it? Are, are you going to? Yes, you're going to go. Okay, right. And they went for it. And suddenly we had we had a, a plot. We had a narrative throughout the entire show, uh, the entire five five games that, that suddenly worked. No, I, I don't think anyone ever saw that in playtesting, did they, Dave? Well, I just think that people were looking after themselves at that point. They were sort of going, we're very close to the big prize, the big suitcase. And... I'm looking. I, I want that big money. Whereas Mike was saying, I don't mind having a guaranteed smaller share of the money, even if I have to share it with everybody. Uh, but it was an interesting one because game two and game four were very overt games where everybody could see what every, everything was happening. Whereas games one and three were covert games. So it's like you put in a certain bid and things happened and then when the results came back nobody quite knew what happened so if anybody was going to stab somebody in the back here well you'd have to stab them in the front frankly um what the team didn't quite realize was the thing about that the final round had two separate medals and if they knew that that was coming down the line there was still a way for them to club together enough medals to sort of at least be competitive with mike um but um wouldn't have helped (laughs) It, it was absolutely the best strategy that they, they landed on in the end there. If they'd have fought over medals, it would have been individual versus group again. We made a mistake here, which I realised far, far too late, <laughs> which was that if you actually look at the publicity photos of the of money, it comes from this round. And if you look on the top of Mike's box, there's two medals showing. And if you took at the one of Mia's box, there's one medal showing. <laughs> so we, we actually managed to blow the most of the entire results of the show in the publicity. I mean, I didn't notice that, so I, I've not had any complaints about it either. So I think we've we've just kind of got, we've got by that. That's funny. At um, least we didn't put a trailer at the start with "coming up" and Mike with Mike with the suitcase. <laughs> and what would have happened if there was a tie on the medals going into the final game? 
Well, I was, I'm slightly sad we never got to use this because we had this very, very cruel tiebreaker. It was, I, I think, I think honestly, this would have gone too far. Uh, which is called um, a dollar auction. So what happens is you say, right, I'm going to put up another medal for um, bidding and we would auction it off at sort of £50 intervals, so like 50 100 150 And the winner of the auction... Like t- taking money out the game here, just to be clear, putting money back in, in production's pockets. So that's one sort of slightly controversial thing. So the uh, medal would be auctioned off to the highest bidder. The catch is that the second place bidder also has to pay for their bid. They don't get anything for it. They have to still pay up. So if you bid 250 and I bid 200, you would get the medal. You'd pay your 250. uh, But I would also have to pay my 200 and get nothing for it. And uh, it's got some fabulous side effects to it. where like it's called a dollar auction because what happens is that people often get to pay like like a dollar fifty for uh for for a dollar because of um loss aversion and sunk cost and things like that uh, go and google it but it's uh it... yeah it would it would have been absolutely brutal but that that would only be if there was a tie for medals and they couldn't negotiate their way out of it on a i think we had a three minute time on the negotiations or something like yeah, that. yeah but in the end we didn't have any <laughs> yeah Okay, so game five. Tell me about game five. So this is the ultimatum game. So this is uh, a, a game where the person who's in the lead in terms of medals gets control of a briefcase that uh, by this point had $6,000 in it. And they can uh, walk away with it only if th- at least three of the other four people remaining in the room agree to the way it's been split up. So Mike was able to put a certain amount of money in the boxes, uh, the boxes would then get taken back into the room. Everyone would open their boxes, and um, those values could have varied. He could have cut one person out of the deal and hoped that the other three people would would uh, pass the deal based on the money that they got. Um, and um, we've we've had a few people uh, who have been asking, like, why why didn't Mike do that? Why why he could have cut one person out? Um, bear in mind that a like. Mike, Mike was never going to do that. And B, he had no idea about who'd been doing the backstabbing in games one and three. Oh, right, okay. Absolutely not a clue. He would not have had a choice. Uh, he, he would not have known who, would have, who, who, who had been least righteous throughout. He'd have probably made a wrong guess about it. He was conscious that it wasn't perhaps the most spectacular ending to sort of just have one round of bidding and, and that's it, it's all neatly wrapped up. Um, and he sort of said, "Well, you know, I could do this, couldn't I? You know, I, I could be a bit mischievous, couldn't I?" And I said, "Yes, you can." And he, they said, "But I want to share." And I said, "Yes, you can." And it's like I was trying to remain as neutral as I possibly could because I just felt like if I even lent on him with my producer hat, even a tiny bit, then that would have spoiled the purity of the experiment. You know, we, it is an experiment at the end of the day, and um, I tried very very hard to be as neutral as possible i was purely there as a conduit with mike in the back room to say whatever you choose to do that's what's going to happen let's just talk about the production for a second did you have a running uh, time in your minds um because presumably as you said earlier on some of the negotiations and discussions went on for some time one of the advantages of being on a streaming service is that we don't have to hit exact episode lengths. 
I think we were aiming for 15 to 20 minutes a show. Some ran long, some ran short. But um, we were slightly up against it on the day because games three and four took a lot of negotiation and a lot of back and forth. Um, I could see Sammy, the director, just getting increasingly anxious as time went on. And when, when Mike came back in, I think he breathed a sigh of relief because, like, okay, we don't have to do two more rounds of this. It's fine. We're going to be clear. We're not going to have overrun fees from the from the location. Um, I, I kind of suggested after we wrapped, there was this moment of, do we want a post show here? Do we want to talk about what just happened? And I just got this. No, we got to clear it out. We got to go. And so, <laughs> much as I would have loved to have had a, a froth episode afterwards, where there was a lot of discussion, actually, that went on down the pub afterwards. Um, where where everyone just kind of confessed every bit of backstabbing and everything that went on, and, and it was it was a lovely kind of there there was uh, uh, it's not Love Island. We didn't need significant aftercare for all the all the players, but there was plenty of time to make sure that everyone was still happy around the around the table in the pub afterwards, and and that that ended well. I do regret not having some sort of froth, happy and, and you know banter afterwards for for the audience. But it does make a nice, neat ending. Um, in the original Bible document I've got up here, it says uh, episodes are going to take as long as they take, but we're probably looking at 10 to 15 minutes each. Um, but I think in terms of like how long each one took to film, we were allowing an hour per game. Um, I think it wasn't just about game four taking a long time as well. It was just that because there was a bit of a reset in terms of what was going to happen with the stage management of the final game with, uh, you know, you walking off into the distance and then um, we had to move cameras into the back room so that then you could talk to um, Mike and then I would talk to Mike and you then come back to the other room and talk to them. There was just a lot of you know, repositioning and, and I always find repositioning of cameras takes far longer than anybody ever thinks. In hindsight, I think if we'd have done that again, Mike would have been in a back room with two or three GoPros that was obviously no one else in there. I think we'd have just, we'd have just, you know how the wall just puts players in a white void in the background? Uh, we, I think we'd have done something like that rather than try and set up a whole second location. I, as it turned out, it, it worked out quite well. It, we were just getting, getting slightly up against the clock at the end. And what was the location? It was an old cardboard box factory in Hackney Downs in London, just right next to a tube station. How we didn't constantly get interrupted by sirens, I have no idea. It worked so well. I think a few YouTube things have, have been filmed there over the years. And it's right next door to a brewery as well. So we were, I was worried about we're going to get, to get clanks of beer barrels and all sorts of stuff like that as well. But thankfully, it was, it was, pretty, <laughs> it was pretty quiet. I mean, this is a, a good time to talk about all the production that went into it. Because I know we're talking mostly about formats and game designs and everything here, but this was through Penny4, brilliant production company I've worked with on a lot of stuff. Just just a whole team. Like, uh, we got the budget in, I gave them the budget, uh, we had a few meetings, and then the next thing I know, I'm in this lit set with crew everywhere and so many cameras and so much design. The table was custom-made. The table was like manufactured out of a sheet of wood by the production team. Um, just the, the whole art department. I know you. The only thing that survived from the playtest was your boxes, yep. uh, David. You, like because they were perfect, they were great. And then we have all these dividers. We have secret dividers with LED lighting on the inside that matches the player colours, that matches the design, that ends up matching the subtitles. Like we we got every like. I cannot speak highly enough about 
all the production that went into this. Um, just graphics. You talked about color blindness as well, David. I remember you setting this up because I missed that. Yeah. So originally there was uh, they sent through an, a, a palette. The designer sort of sent us through a, a sample palette of like you know we're thinking about these five colors, and like I think a blue and a purple and a green and a red was were so similar for me that I just sort of went nah, that's not going to quite work for me. So we had to sort of do a little bit of back and forth. Uh, but it's very useful being color blind. You know, I've 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 done that job several times now on on shows to help them uh, sort of pull uh, you know things like reds and greens parts so that you have you know brick red and a leafy green and this is why you've got symbols on the boxes as well just very subtly as, as an additional cue and, and also the music this this was this was scored um like a lot of it was was music beds put together uh, benjamin squires who's just such a good uh composer i've worked with him on, on a few things since as well just put out these these wonderful music tracks we i think his, his cues were things like sherlock and stuff like that and just just various various styles and just the amount of music that was put together for this show absolutely spectacular because i know they kept going back to him like can we get a version which which ramps here and does this and just just kept coming back with this mm. and, and of course you know while, while i'm doing the thank yous to everyone just the the technical team on the day as well because the amount of camera we had was it four big cameras, David, or five? I can't remember how many we actually at had. At least four, yeah. And then you've also got GoPros constantly running, wired in, hidden for the players' hands. And like we're using, what, 10 seconds of that footage a game, but all those GoPros had to run. All those GoPros had to be synced. All the footage had to be transferred off each of them in every game. Like the person doing uh, DIT, which is all the, the transfer and backup of footage, it was just out at the end of every game. They just go around. GoPro, new SD card, start transferring the back. Just terabytes of footage created for this, just to make this 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 one season. Because uh, it was beautifully produced, I thought. But interestingly, the overall effect was that none of the lighting or the design or the colours or anything else detracted from the focus on the people and the play. Games which require a lot of thought and discussion end up being very overproduced. Um, because the broadcaster worries that people are just talking. Um... Nebula trusted us. They're also used to video essays. This is this is a medium for for several of the folks there, where you can have a twenty minute monologue to camera, and as long as you've got jokes, as long as you've got a couple of things to break it up somewhere in there, you don't have to have a constantly shifting camera. You don't have to cut to a dozen other things because it's it's about the person as well as the content, and. This was a thing that could not have worked for television, I think, for that reason. Um, we, we just had, we had an hour-long cut-down conversation around the table, and that seemed to be enough. So the final question is about repeating it. You mentioned earlier the word experiment, and generally with an experiment on, on television, you do it once. Uh, a format is something, a, a formula that you repeat multiple times. What's your thinking on this? My gut is that I wouldn't want to do a second series for Nebula or YouTube. A um, couple of reasons. Uh, one, we've done it now. Box ticked. You're always going to get diminishing returns on something like that. And I'd rather move on to doing newer formats than repeating something that is that is roughly the same thing. Um, also, I know that if I run this again, they're going to go players versus house from game one. Yeah. Like we would have to either make the game much nastier which is not going to make a great show or we'd have to bring in complete strangers who 
aren't YouTube personalities and run it with civilians. And like, I am not comfortable with doing that. I am, I'm sure there are plenty of TV shows out there that would do stuff like that and it would make a very entertaining show. But, oh no, I'm, I am not comfortable doing that. <laughs> I, I think there are ways in which you could redress and retweak some of the games, um, but there are there aren't hundreds of these things out there. I mean, I, I take my hat off to people who did things like the Genius Game, um, in the Korean show, which we've mentioned before on on the podcast. Um, I think we've taken the lowest hanging fruit, the, the the easiest ones we could do, the 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 best known ones that, that we know work, and they work well, um, but whether we'd get such a good payoff for a second run through i don't know you'd need to do it with civilians and you end up with something like golden balls or something like that where you have a repeatable format the moments that people remember are the ones where people are nasty or backstab or do something outside the game rules and i just feel like this one season got wrapped up so nicely that you have this this wonderful narrative arc that, that the players manage to work out together that I don't think we could ever come up with something like that again. And on that beautiful ending, I think um, we've, we've, we've pretty much everything we want to say. Thank you very much for having me, folks. Uh, if people have just come over here because I've linked to it for something and they want the behind the scenes, please do consider subscribing. Uh, I really like the podcast. Uh, they've had some really good guests on here. They've had Alex Horn from Taskmaster. They've had Bobby Siegel from University Challenge. And it's a really nice look into how shows get made. Well, thanks very much indeed for that. Justin and I will be back with more news and views on the world of television very soon. You can follow what we're up to on our Twitter feed, which is at TV Show Podcast. You can also email us via contact at tvshowandtell.com. Until then, I've been David Bodicum. And I've been Justin Scroggie. And this has been TV Show and Tell. <laughs>